I wanted to speak to Professor Pitikan Duli after realizing how absent and how ignored the voice of the elders are on this podcast. It reminded me of the words of Audrey Lord when she said if the younger members of a community view the older members as contemptible or suspect or excess, they'll never be able to join hands and examine the living memories of a community nor ask the all important question why. This gives rise to a historical amnesia that keeps us working to invent the wheel every time we have to go to the store for bread. There couldn't be a better case for seeking out the voices of our elders. And so I sat down with this activist, artist, academic and poet who follows in the tradition of the Renaissance man. Professor Pitikantuli is a true artistic, political and academic polymath. So if anyone had to ask you who are you how do you respond to that to a question like who are you I am one of those uh, uh, you know souls that uh, you know emerged during the bleak days of uh, South Africa and managed to survive to tell my story unafraid undaunted just a simple person living a simple life in the context of my time. Yes. And you were raised in, in Woodbank, right? Um, I was reading a piece that was written by your childhood friend in a location called Bless Bok Masekeni. Um, what was, what was yes. uh, Tell me about your childhood and your home there in, in, uh, in Woodbank. Yes, I was born... Uh, uh, I, I was born outside of Whitbank anyway. I was born in Springs, but grew up, uh, you know, in uh, Whitbank, in the coal mining town uh, of Whitbank, always being uh, dwarfed by uh, black mine dumps on which we used to slide down and walking up, uh, you know, and down and coming back home, ice black, smoke, smelling of coal, uh, very embarrassingly so, but ultimately we were happy. Mm. You know, I also grew I grew up in Soweto and we also had mine dumps as part of our landscape. You know, they shifted, they changed in size depending on the mining activity that was happening there. They blew dust into the home. So sometimes you'd have to clean in the morning and then in the evening again. Um, how, how did you relate to the mining of coal in the context that you were growing up in, in the country that you grew up in? No, I mean, the mining of coal brought in to us as very young people, uh, you know, excitement because up in the coal mines, they used to show cowboy uh, films, uh, you know, twice a week. So we had to run 10 kilometers uh, to the mine in order to go and watch uh, uh, the cowboys. And other than that, whenever they dug the coal right underneath to the tunnels where they've dug, that's where we used to play uh, as friends, hide and seek underground. Uh, you know, underground. That's why when I became politically aware and we used to hide you know, underneath there, and I also thank those uh, mines for teaching me how to conduct underground work. Mm. How did that contribute? Did you have to, did you need that at a particular time later, this underground work? Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. What you do, you need to, you need to be hiding. You need to be 
able to control your uh, uh, to control your breath if you are actually being uh, you know chased everything that we actually were doing underneath those things were to kind of train ourselves mm. uh, to do things we were not able to do not knowing that we are in a sense preparing for something you get into a tiny hole where there's very little oxygen and you're supposed to hold your breath for a period of time uh, to see who is going to hold it uh, you know, longer you know, than the other people. Mm. To an extent that uh, when we're now running away, crossing you know, rivers, and you are being chased, if you go under you know, the water, you are able to hold your breath for uh, you know, enough time for people to survey if there's anything or, or not. Mm. So that's why then in uh, one of the poems, I just simply say, Malacheni born, I inhaled the cold smoke under the mountain of clouds. Mm. But then, oh, where's that? Yeah, I'm messing it up. It escaped you now. <laughs> Um, but you also grew up watching your father um, provide spiritual leadership and spiritual support to members of, of your community. Um, can you tell me about your parents? What kind of people were they? My father was a fire and brimstone kind of a pastor. Hmm. Uh, so kind of powerful and also a very brilliant uh, storyteller. Mm. Uh, my mother was one who was also more of a, 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 a strategian who managed to hide uh, you know, four people who ended up as generals in the South African army for six months in my father's church without my father even knowing mm. that uh, there were people that were hidden inside his own church. That's a so they kind of uh, they were very, very, very uh, you know, powerful, you know, people politically, uh, you know, convenient, I mean, politically, you know, so clear to an extent that, uh, you know, Tikok took a personal dislike at my mother mm. and even pushed my mother onto a number eight Dover stove when my mother was unconscious, uh, you know, for about three weeks. And Tikok uh, said, I know you've got four active sons and I'm going to kill them one by one. And each time I kill one of them, I will come back and let you know. I lost four of my brothers. The latest one, the last born in the family, was hunted down to uh, Mbeya in Tanzania, where he was, uh, you know, murdered in the camps as a camp commander. That's the type of, uh, of parents, you uh, know, uh, brought us up. Yes. So how many of your siblings are surviving? We were nine in the family. The first born, second born were sisters. The rest of us were boys. I'm the only one remaining. Mm. So did that harden you even more against the state and just fueled your politicization? I don't think anything could have uh, uh, you know, made me more against. You know, because from the time when I was about five, six, uh, I remember being dragged from a pavement by some heavy rugby white guy threw me out of the pavement and knocked me against uh, you know the car, and I didn't actually understand then as to whether what was uh, you know happening. When I recovered, you know, months later, I was walking in the street. A, a white woman with a, a, a son were walking, and the son had a toy. And when the child saw me, 
uh, he offered me a toy so that we could play as children do. I was reaching for that uh, uh, toy when I saw the boy's feet high above me, the mother dragging them away as if he was going to be touching you know, some poison. So growing up in a situation such as that, it makes you at a very tender age ask yourself as whether who am I, why am I, why am I being treated like this? Why is it all of these things that are happening? You get uh, initiated into resistance at a very tender young age. Yes. And you, you are an artist, you're an academic, but you're also a healer which means uh, for many it's that you're very sensitive then to your surroundings uh, you know more attuned perhaps than than others so how did you experience this side of you in the midst of all of that hardship all of that uh, oppression and acrimony no it's absolutely very very uh, uh, you, know, you know you know difficult because what had happened is that my family is a family then two lists are a warrior and a spiritual and a spiritual uh, you know family mm-hmm. uh, uh, right when you go over to look at the anglo zulu war of 1879 the three people who led this army against the brits two of them were the Tuli generals uh, you know the brothers mm-hmm. and also directly in my own family my father being a pastor his brother being a, a powerful sangoma then I was brought up by the powerful Sangoma when I was young because they uh, detected uh, sensitivity that was uh, uh, you know, in me. And actually, my art also began at that time when I was traveling around with my, uh, uh, you know, with, uh, with my uncle who made me to sit in front of a dead tree and ask me uh, what the tree is telling me. And I shouldn't stand up until I got a message from what the tree is telling me. And of course, for me, the tree wouldn't actually speak. Mm. And as I said there, and I said, let me imagine that this tree was a human being. How would it look like? Then I began seeing the branches coming up as arms. I was shouting, viva, viva, and because I was already interested in the struggle. Mm. It's only 10 years later that I had to sit in front of another dead tree and began carving a piece of wood taught by the most ignorant person in the world myself <laughs> and why do you refer to yourself like that is that just the humility at what we're yet to learn and what we're yet to that we can't think we know it all no 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 you know it's because i did not know anything about uh, carving uh-huh. i did not know anything about uh, uh, the art but i had this spirit burning actually in me uh, to visualize Mm-hmm. Uh, what was lying behind that uh, a, a wood following my own graduation as a sangoma with my uncle. Oh, so is that your, your sculpting started after, because that's also a process of being born anew. Yes, I suppose I've been born anew. I mean, it took 10 years after that uh, uh, it was a incident where I was sitting in front of the tree now I'm already in Swaziland, in exile, and I am missing the uncle uh, uh, who initiated uh, uh, me. I remember it was on a Wednesday when I went and bought a hammer and a chisel and began to carve because he was in my mind at that particular time. And by Friday, I received the news that uh, he had just passed on. Ah, I see. Mm. You know, at that time, such a... Del- of his transition. Um, 
what does your name mean? And do you think that it's also informed uh, your life in one way or another? My name is Pitika. I think it has really informed it home. Because Rupitika is to roll around, isn't it? Yes. I've been rolling from I've been rolling from Swaziland to Zambia to Tanzania to the UK to the United States to Germany. All my life I've been moving from one country to another, one climate to another, one form of expression into another. So all my life I've just been pitying. <laughs> so let's I want to track your political career or your involvement and your time leading you of course to Pitika in all of these countries as you've detailed. Yeah. Um <laughs> and so in South Africa there was of course a monitoring a clampdown on voices on writers on artists on activists um and this censorship of people's views of what was happening uh, at the time, uh, how instrumental was it in you further developing sculpture, further developing poetry as a means of expressing the injustice you were seeing? The question, I can only answer that question by quoting a, a couple of short poems. Mm. In my country, they jail you for what they think you think. My uncle once said they'll invent a microchip and plant it into our brains to flesh our thoughts on John Fonsa Square. By day, I guard my tongue. Mm -hmm. By night, I guard my dreams. Mm -hmm. They always ask me why I've got such a long tongue. What with the system, stretching it every day, looking for words, you know, under it? It is that censorship that uh, really... Uh, you, you know, you, you know, forced me to balance the issues of uh, academia. I can teach in academia. I can preach. I can make uh, you know sculpture uh, that I can hide some of the images and I and ideas. And then I must write poetry and use images that are not very easy to to break through. But you must break through in order to get to the meaning uh, you know, of it. So the whole sense and the search of, uh, you know, meaning, uh, you know, uh, predominated in my life. But that sensitivity yeah. comes through all of these experiences that I practice. Mm. And sculpture in itself is free of censorship. I mean, how do you censor a piece of sculpture? Oh, you'll be surprised. Uh, you, you, you. It depends what kind of a sculpture. You are making. In uh, when I was in Swaziland, I made a sculpture of uh, on, from a wheelbarrow mm. using a, a you know a spade you know for you know for a head and using a, 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 a hose uh, you know actually for you know for feet and one wheelbarrow pushing another wheelbarrow. At level a security police uh, a, you know guy managed to pick up. And what I was doing. Mm -hmm. Then he says, oh, you are trying to make the workers uh, arise, you know, because once you make their tools to rise, that means they must be there, you know, pushing, uh, you know, these. There are some very intelligent security police that were, in a sense, able to pick up uh, things. But uh, with sculpture, it was not as easy as it is uh, with, uh, uh, you know, poetry, you know, to be, you know, to be censored. Yeah. But again, that leads you to come up with a, 
a, a poetry that is going to praise and condemn, mm-hmm. advance and retreat, turn around and move in a, 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 move in a singular linear uh, way. So whatever you, uh, you do, you plant little secret meanings, symbols, and signs so that those who are attuned to it will understand and follow. Mm. So you sought refuge in Swaziland. Um, and of course, we know the influence of certain colonial powers, the British, for instance, were colonial authority. And uh, you had, as, as, as um, those seeking refuge in uh, Swaziland, there was a time when you could demonstrate your activism openly, but there was soon a clamp down there as well. So the tentacles of the apartheid state of those that wanted to uh, uh, stamp out the uprisings uh, in Southern Africa spread as far as that, and you ended up being imprisoned. So in that time, you were in the death row cells in this prison in Swaziland. I mean, that must have been harrowing. Were there times when you thought you would die? You know, what's interesting here, Azana, is that uh, I was in charge of the group that was operating uh, you know, in uh, Swaziland. Mm-hmm. And because I, I was in charge, I never stayed in one place. I got a couple of places where I stayed. And then one day when I woke up in the morning, a family came and Kwanazi family came and said, uh, our father has not returned uh, from work you know, yesterday and his car was found somewhere near the forest. We don't know what has happened. Then it turned out that another family too, and in the end, everybody I was working with had disappeared. And I knew that none of them could disappear from Swaziland without me knowing, because I would have been the one to arrange it. Mm. Then I knew that those people were arrested, and they were going to be kept uh, in the death cells. They will be released one day and thrown across the border and shot from the back, and they would plant AK-47 and say these were the guerrillas returning at, uh, in a home, then they'll be gone and dead. So what do I do in a situation such as that? Then I had to organize my own arrest and have a cameraman watching me being, uh, uh, you know, being arrested. I wrote an article for a newspaper about my own uh, arrest and why I handed myself over to the, uh, uh, in, in, to the police. Because once that is out, and I knew that uh, my comrades were not going to be molested or to be uh, to be sent across uh, you know, the border, but also that also coincided with another thing that all those people I was detained with, each one in our own cells, were were people who were uh, accused as co-conspirators in the secret Bethel uh, treason trial of Zef, uh, you know, Mutuping. That's what culminated also into that uh, arrest and that detention in maximum security in the death cells in Matsapa in Swaziland. And I've no doubt the way in which the state had treated PAC leader Robert Subukwe, um, that that also influenced uh, the, the, the way you saw the risk to your lives. That's why I think that's, uh, that's how it was, because we, we knew that... Uh, how Sobuge was treated and isolated completely from everybody else. How Zef Mutubing's trial, unlike the other treason trial that, that took place 
and they were charged in Pretoria. This one had to be hidden in a little farming town of Bethel to keep people away from being interested, you know, and that. So that ultimately, anything that referred to blackness, mm-hmm. that referred sincerely, uh, committed actually to Africa, you know, had to be, uh, uh, you know, suppressed. It's not even surprising that even right now, under a very new regime, there are still, uh, uh, you know, upla people, political people that are still in prison, despite truth and reconciliation, despite all the amnesties. So anything that, uh, uh, you know, speaks unapologetically uh, to blackness uh, has got to be meted out with so much kind of, uh, you know, punishment in any way in which they could just imagine. Why do you think that's so, Professor? Why do you think blackness is deemed with such disdain? Why is it regarded as such a threat? Yeah, you, you, know, you know, because when you turn up and you look at, uh, uh, you know, black cultures, black uh, the cultures are, are cultures of interrelationships, of interconnectedness, of interdependence, you know, of, uh, uh, you know, people. The world view, in fact, not even the world view, the world sense, that we uh, 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 the, 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 that we have is an is an empowering one. Now, if you come across the people who atomize, break everything into little pieces, end up as nuclear families, others don't even have any relatives. So, anything that brings people closer together and work together, worship together, create actually together, must pose a very serious threat, uh, you know, to the worldview of, uh, you know, people such as those that came and colonized us. Mm, mm, Because it's a question that I think perplexes whether you're thinking of uh, African-Americans in the U.S. or you look at the experience of Africans across this continent. Um, I mean, our friends and I have asked it several times about why you don't necessarily see this kind of disdain for, say, other peoples of the world. And yet wherever Black people are, there is this sort of um, treatment of us. And so it's something that seems to be, the, I think the, the question why often is very difficult to answer and we can pursue it for all of existence or we can also just surrender and say it's not something we'll ever be able to get an answer to, at least a satisfactory answer to. Yeah, but what uh, you, know, uh, uh, you are saying now, it takes us back uh, mm. to the colonialists. Mm. The colonialists came up and uh, because we are a rich continent, we are minerally rich, uh, we, the, the, the land is very fertile, we didn't need any of uh, you know, the people, but they needed our resources. And in order to get our resources, then they must then begin now to demonize us. And the way of demonizing us was that uh, we do not, we have no idea of what, uh, uh, of a God. That we believe that trees and, uh, and stones and, and rivers have got, uh, you know, spirits. And also we are worshiping idols. Mm-hmm. Instead of worshipping God, we are worshipping idols and our idols are our own sculptures because we love art, therefore we are barbaric, we are animists, we are something that is not a human being to an extent that even in Australia, uh, the, the Aborigines 
were not regarded as human beings. They were part of the flora and fauna of that place. Only recently that they were declared you know, to be human beings. So we are actually uh, you know, dealing here with the people who in themselves, in their own enlightened uh, in, in a barbarism, fail to understand the basic tenets of what it really means to be human. Mm. Yes, and that's so true that we cannot seek uh, the answers there because if, you, if we try and define ourselves through the views of uh, the quote so-called master, then we will never uh, we will never be free of all of these uh, connotations or all of these what's deemed to be negative. So we have to define ourselves away from that particular gaze, away from that view, and define ourselves in what we know to be. Yeah, that takes us back uh, to uh, uh, the uh, Italian intellectual uh, Gramsci, mm-hmm. uh, who says, colonialism was an act of coercion. They will coerce you, use force. After using that force, then comes up hegemony, where they give you their religion, their education, so that you, you then start, you yourself, uh, proceeding to enslave yourself without actually even uh, uh, knowing that you are doing uh, this by buying into the colonial uh, in a logic. Mm. That's where we are in South Africa, right away to get, you know, to get that the people that actually really, really uh, you know, rule us uh, are still afflicted by coloniality. The stamp of that oppression that is actually into their, their heads psychologically. The way they wear, the way they live, the way they do practically everything hasn't got anything to do with the real essence of what it really means to be an African person, share life with the other people, grow together with other people, and help those that are actually poor, listen to the whole spirit and the philosophy of uh, Ubuntu, which held us actually closer together. So right now, the whole spirit of Ubuntu has been uh, done. What's happening under the pandemic? We are getting billions of rands being put up in order to save people from dying. But already there are some people who are now accused of uh, 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 you know, squandering those monies that are meant for the people, you know, for them actually to live. Then we realize that uh, we have been so dehumanized that we need to begin to find ways of finding ourselves uh, afresh. Mm. Um, it was actually feminist writer Audre Lorde in her book, Sister Outsider, and in the book, she says, the master's tools will never dismantle the master's house. So um, yeah. that's, that says it all. But it was, it was sculpture that helped you also survive those years. I mean, that year, close to a year in solitary while you were in Swaziland. Um, how, did, how did it help to save you? Um, because I remember there's a book recently about women in solitary written by Shantani Naidu. And it's entitled Women in Solitary, those women who were part of the trial of 22, four of them, who spent uh, many months in solitary confinement. Uh, And Mama Winnie Maitikizela Mandela was also uh, in solitary confinement at this time. She wrote about being in uh, these cells as well. Nelson Mandela also wrote about just the toll that it takes uh, on your mental well-being. So we cannot discount how disturbing 
being denied contact and access to other human beings for a protracted period of time can be on the soul and the mind? Yeah, I tell you, I mean, you know, to be locked up in a, a tiny room that's about the size of, a, a, you know, six small toilet in rooms, no running water you know, in it, the uh, iron bars are very high. You can hardly, uh, you can hardly reach them. No newspapers uh, are allowed in there. No radio and absolutely nothing. You are left alone on your own, wondering what is going to happen. Because you are not charged, you are not even going to court. You do not actually know what is going to happen and you don't even know when it is going to, to happen. If you are arrested, as I said, 20 years in prison, your mind psychologically works out how you would survive those 20 years. But if at all you don't know, and you, you don't know, you have to keep your mind sane. So I had to keep my mind sane by making, you know, by making a, 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 a sculpture. Mm. And the toilet paper that they gave me, I will dip it up into the, uh, in, into the water in my bucket and then they squeeze the water out and make little, uh, you know, chest pieces. Uh, you, know, you, know, you know, with them. When it is time for me to use them, I will crush those stones of mine and use them for what the paper was meant to do. Then with soap, I would have to carve my soap with my little finger in order to get little monumental uh, you know, statues. And when it is time for me to wash, I will wash with my sculptures. And then with bread, with, with, with bread, I would just get my, my bread, squeeze it, dump it up in a bit of water, make little statues out of that bread, and when I'm hungry, I will eat uh, you know, you know, this uh, you know, bread. And in my mind, I was saying, I am demonstrating that wherever I am, I can forever create with whatever is in front of me. And when I had no bread and I had absolutely nothing, I would paint murals uh, with my mind where I am, so that I can see the trees and the cities in my place to populate my own world mm. using my imagination. Wow. So you could, these sculptures, you only also had them for companionship. You create them, they are your companions for a short period of time because these are non-permanent materials as well. So just as you, you have them for comfort and soothing, they're gone. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're, they're gone. But what for me was the saddest part, one day I was sitting you know, down there and I noticed something, an end. Mm. It's just to see an end where you're not allowed to talk to anybody. It was so beautiful. I was walking on my, on my force the whole day, following the, the end, where it goes where it disappears. And then I'll use my bread to leave it there, knowing it is going to come until they discovered what I was doing and they killed my, my aunt. Oh, the cruelty of that. The cruelty Just of imagine. that. Yes, yes. Um, you know, it's always difficult to say out of really difficult conditions and adversity that, you know, there is a silver lining but maybe what i'm looking for is a lesson in that 
Were there lessons out of that experience for you that made you stronger, that made you better, that shaped your outlook of life, of the world, the impermanence of the very materials that you were using versus what you would go on to use later on? What, what, do you, what were the, those lasting reflections from that time in solitary? You know, I mean, I mean, those, uh, uh, you, 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 know, you know, moments were saying to me, whatever may happen to me, I need to keep my mind uh, you know, fresh. And as long as my mind is fresh, then my soul and my spirit are going to be, uh, are going to be fresh. And no one is going to make me do what I do not want you know, to do. Maybe I could take just one little step back. When I was just there in exile, one day my parents hitchhiked all the way, you know, from Malacheni to Swaziland, uh, you know, to visit me. My mother did my washing for me. My father came and said to me, oh, your mom did your washing for you? I said, yes. She said, who did the, the socks? I said, she washed everything. She said, your mother washed the socks for you? I said, yes. I said, what, what's wrong with that? He said, we have been together for over 50 years. She had never washed my socks for me. <laughs> I, I, I said, why? Is it because you wore those socks and you visited somebody else? said, shut up. <laughs> I don't know. I want you to find out as to why she has not done my socks. Yes. When I asked my mother, my mother said to me, you see how men are now. You are a little boy and I trying to use you against me to ferret a, a, a news you know, out of me. But to cut a long story short, is that uh, my mother decided that uh, I would choose one thing I will not do for somebody I love and I'm prepared to die for, that I'm not going to do it for them. And if I can hold on to that, no one else in the world can make me do what I do not want to do. Mm. Coming from a mother such as that, so the experiences of uh, my solitary uh, uh, you know, in it derive actually uh, you know, you know, from that that no one is going to make me do what I do not want uh, uh, to do. Mm. And if I do it and go along with it, it is because I know how I'm going to turn that thing against those that want me to do the things I don't want to do. Mm. Wow. Sure. So that, that was the Swaziland um, chapter because there was activism around your release and you ha- you got an opportunity, of course, to... Uh, be freed and go and live in places like go on to live in places like the UK where you were teaching, you held exhibitions. Um, yes. And you were able to have a semblance of a life uh, away from the oppressive system of South Africa, though tethered of course, to, to South Africa. And. But, yes. but for me, why I love Swaziland is just because uh, I was very fortunate uh, uh, in love to be in contact with, with King Sopuza II, mm-hmm. because I was teaching uh, uh, his children up uh, in, in the school. I got to know him, one of the wisest human beings that I was. Landlocked in Swaziland, I couldn't go through Mozambique or anywhere else. He adopted me and gave me a diplomatic passport to go and study in the United States of uh, 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 you know, America. Mm-hmm. That's, where, uh, you know, for me, uh, uh, one man that was really good. I can go on a number of things of how King Sopuza uh, the second contributed towards uh, the, the, the liberation, uh, you know, of 
in, in the South Africa when uh, his own ministers, many of them, were collaborating uh, you know, with the system. Mm. Mm. The generosity that we encounter, I think, is a great reminder of grace, that there's always grace upon us, especially when, you, when, when it's demonstrated through generosity such as that. Yes, you know, when you look at somebody else and see something on somebody else and said, there's nothing I can get out of it. My pleasure is to make this person uh, achieve uh, their life gains, which is exactly what I do as a sculptor. All I have to do, I don't change the form of the wood I use or the bone that I use. I use it as it is in order to highlight its own ideal that it seeks to achieve. Mm. So as you are going to say, you know this is a wood and this is a, a wheelbarrow and this is it, but it is going to be more than what it is. And that's how then as human beings, we have to be more than what you see, what you hear, our actions, our beliefs, and everything that we, 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 we do must affirm life, must affirm nature, must affirm spirit. Yes. So let's talk about your art for a moment, because when you got to the UK, um, and not having much. I mean, I've also been an immigrant in the UK many, many years ago. So I've got really great compassion and understanding for what it takes to survive in a country that's not your, your own. Um, I mean, it takes a hell of a lot, you know, just to wake up every day, optimist, keep going at it, keep pushing, because your very survival depends on it with kilometers and kilometers away from home. Um, and you still strove to create your art, regardless of how constrained your circumstances may have been. And that then asks, that begs the question about what compels you? How would you describe this compulsion to not stop, to keep creating? And what, why is creating so essential to humanity, to, to being a human being? Yeah, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's a very, 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 uh, you know, powerful question, you know, that one time somebody asked me when we were in uh, London, I, I was with my, one of my sons, who was about six or seven then, as to why am I who I am? I had no answer. It's my son who answered. And he said, if you want to know about my father, either grandmother or grandfather, dropped him on his head when he was little and he rearranged his wires and he sees things differently from anybody else. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, but put it differently. Yes. As human beings, we are creative people. I'll give you an example. In, in Guni language, Ntu, that stem Ntu is a vital force, the power to cause things to happen and to change. Mm. You put in mu in front of untu, you get muntu. Therefore, muntu, a human being, is a change agent, the one who has the power to cause things to happen and to change. So creativity is nothing else, you know, but the key through which we have to make meaning of your life, make meaning of your, of your existence, you know, make you know, meaning of your own existential angst. Hmm. Hmm. So when you create, then you're making sense of the world. 
Yeah, when you create, you make sense of yourself, and then it's only when you make sense of yourself that you are able to begin to make sense, you know, of uh, of the world. You become, uh, you are an instrument of that creation. I am like bone to a sculptor. I am like wood uh, to a sculptor. And sculpture is life. Life, uh, you know, life is carving me. My experiences uh, are carving me. What I speak, what I say, where I live, and how I want you know, to live are all expressions of creativity. And, and I am the product of that kind of a creative uh, you know, spirit that says, uh, never give up five minutes before a miracle. Wow. Wow. And does it, has it shown up for you? As in when you, when you didn't give up and you stuck with it? Yes. You know, uh, you were saying something I need to pick up again earlier on when you talk about uh, exile. Yes. When you're in exile, you're in a country that is not your own. And you are different. Your culture is different. And there are those people who look at you because of the color of your skin and you're already inferior uh, 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 you know, to them. If you're not inferior, you are dangerous. You are a threat. Mm-hmm. So in other words, then, you live a double existence. You think of the culture you have at home that had really brought you up, that you really respect. You come over into... Uh, another culture that had been fostered on you, even in your own uh, in your country, and begin to understand it in a sense uh, afresh. And then also your creativity, your creative mind tells you that not all people in this country are as bad as you think they, uh, you know, they are. Mm-hmm. Then you begin now creating new dynamic, uh, you know, places of, of action, you know, to be protected, uh, you know, by uh, the, 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 the people uh, who, who, who had given you that uh, uh, asylum, you know, in that uh, you know, exile. Mm-hmm. You find humanity everywhere. You seek humanity, uh, you know, everywhere in order that uh, life might still continue to hold meaning for you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You once wrote that, uh, art is language that allows you to express disagreeable ideas agreeably. That made me curious about these disagreeable ideas. <laughs> you, know, you, you know, it's just like telling somebody, somebody, telling somebody the truth, even yeah. your friend, when they lie to themselves. You say to them, look, what I'm going to do, I'm going to make you uncomfortable. You are lying to yourself. <laughs> and lying to yourself is about the worst thing that it is. Can I tell you the truth about yourself? Humble yourself <laughs> enough. Ooh, that question is going to do mostly with humility. Mm-hmm. Without that humility, creativity cannot be possible. Yes. You can't create out of sheer, uh, out of sheer uh, you know, arrogance. What keeps you humble? Creativity. Uh, what keeps me humble is that I know I can pick up anything and turn it into a meaningful work of art. I can pick up any word or any set of words and rearrange them to make a profound meaning, uh, express a meaning in a way in which no one else 
has uh, you know, actually uh, you know, done it. It is that uniqueness that uh, you seek as a human being because it is in finding that uniqueness that you begin to realize that you are not even as unique as you think you are. Then you discover your own humanity and then humility settles you down. <laughs> I understand, I guess. <laughs> Uh, you've also said that your art has also been a struggle to give concrete expression to the dreams that come by day and by night. What are these dreams? Can you tell me about your dreams? My dreams, mm. you know, uh, you know, I woke up. Uh, uh, I woke up this morning feeling a little bit uh, uh, down, and I turned on. Uh, uh, I, I picked up a CD. It, 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 it was Bach, or the, 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 you know, this side, and Vivaldi. <laughs> I was listening to the, those two uh, musics playing inside uh, uh, my head. And when they actually stopped, all the revolutionary songs I was singing in exile were coming and mixing with this kind of a classical uh, uh, music. What was happening inside my head? If I had an instrument, I could have produced certain music that was going to marry this classical with that indigenous and with that modern uh, you know, voices that young people are. So wherever we are with whatever we have got, meaning has got to be uh, created. But for me, I am not making art for any other reason but to address the existential challenges of me to answer questions about myself. Mm -hmm. Why I do the things that I do and don't do the things I don't want uh, uh, to do. So in other words, uh, art for me is my life. It is a battlefield. Mm -hmm. It is the beginning. It is the end. It is a peace. It is the very center of my existence and the existence of those people close uh, 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 to me. Mm-hmm. And what about poetry? When you're writing, for instance, who or what captures you when you are creating, when you're writing poetry? Is it the same as when you're creating sculpture? Or um, is it the same for when you're, you're writing? Yeah, I, it, I, it, I mean, it's more or less the same. Where I'm sitting right now, when I look at through the window, I see an athlete on the branch of a tree running. And I also watch uh, at about this time when the sun is about to set, how the sun lights through, uh, you know, that, uh, you know, thing. I've written a poem about it. Mm-hmm. I can, uh, you know, you know, I can, uh, uh, you know, sculpt it. So for me, words are so powerful. I could just say to you right now, Azania, give me a word. Any word that comes to your head. Mm. Give me a word. Culture. No, culture is too big. Oh. Just an ordinary word. <laughs> culture is mm. too big. Bright. <laughs> Bright. Yeah. Throughout my life, I sought the bright path towards my future. The bright lights in the street, the headlights that the cars you know throw uh, across the, blank, the, 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 the the brightness that blinds you. 
the brightness that reveals and, re and removes the shadows of your existence, the shadows of your own problems. I carry a bright mind to enlighten the universe of my desires and my dreams. Mm. Bright. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow, that's amazing. Just like that. What is... Life, yeah, life is just... Life is just like uh, it's just like that just simply be yourself just be me i i'm a medium uh, of, of of expression uh, you you throw a word on me i close i close my eyes and my spirit is going to rearrange those words and put them onto my tongue i can utter them uh, illustrate to you that is just astounding if there was you know how what happens in hip hop and rap um, rappers mm. come together and they're also supposed to freestyle. <laughs> that felt like a poetic freestyle. Um, and it was beautiful. Thank you so much. I've been centuries ago, you'd hear people uh, saying, Umzikomela ojenge siluani, unamula banta makanda. Okay, Puzul, Unko was about to listen to more Umasha Gulango twenty, Umali and Divinga Tuya, Zalela, Ushetra Gendawana, Yaki Utana, Umquas Wazikana Zana. Those are all traditional issues centuries ago that you read them the way in which you are. You get the very, uh, 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 you know, rap that everybody thinks it is, uh, 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 you know, fresh. You know, Africa is the beginning of so many things. Mm. As I know, you must have read about the chaos theory. There's a chaos theory, there's a systems theory, there's complexity theory. Yes. In Africa, you have got the trickster gods. Kagichane, Anansi, the spider, Eshu, Elekbara. These are creators, these are trickster gods that create chaos in order to obviate the need for systems. Mm. And then once you get those systems then, how you rule, how you do it, how you dance, how you pray, how you do these things, you are preparing for a higher zone of spirit where you're going to be dealing with the issues of complexity. Mm. They're just there in our day-to-day -day life from the time we're actually born. And the Western world is discovering them now. Oh, let's come with common theory, uh, you know, this. Let's come with the systems. Let's come with, uh, a, 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 you know, complexity. Let's come with the performance art. The performance art discovered in the 80s. And yet all art in Africa has been a performance art. From the time when you heal, when you go to a wedding, you have got your songs, your poems, your statues, your masks, your everything. Everything in Africa is the performative space. Mm. Mm. And within that, I mean, there's mathematics, there's an understanding of all sorts of other disciplines, there's physics, there's astronomy, there's... There are all these things brought together for this expression that is African, whether it's music or art, all of it. Let's get to mathematics. Mm -hmm. Now, Azana, can you count up to 10, Kaspid? Right. Do you see what you're saying there? It's exactly like in Zulu, right? Mm -hmm. You add up to four. When you come to five, Shanu, Siela, Supa, 
We are no longer adding, we are symbolizing. Are you aware? I did not know that. Robedi, Robong, we are subtracting. Mm-hmm. Hey, hey, that's me. You are resolving. Hmm. That's our our mathematics is just based upon that. Even in Zulu, ten things inside out. Siela crossover. Super, we are indicating. So before you get to ten, you add, you symbolize, you subtract. Yes. And once you look at it that way, then we are going to go to Africa and begin to think about the Ishango bone. There's a Ishango bone and a Libombo bone. The Libombo bone is 44,000 years old. Hmm. Ishango bone, I think it's 27,000 years ago. With all the mathematical markings, you can use that one and count it to millions and to billions. Found here in Africa, tens of thousands of years ago hmm. that's just oh, it can be that's immense that is immense that immense just yeah and if i thought you're going to come up and google uh, adam's calendar yes, yes adam's calendar is a megalith bone there in waterfall boven and those stones that have been standing there for seventy-five thousand. Uh, 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 you know, yes, aligned to the stars, aligned to this, uh, aligned to other little bits and pieces that are 17 degrees uh, angle going right up towards Ethiopia and the rest of those things. Mm-hmm. You know, because the history of Africa has been suppressed because in South Africa we were told that there was a simultaneous arrival between white people and black people. Once you hold a theory such as that, then you are not going to uh, reveal what has happened before they arrived. How many Iron Age settlements are there that are still un, uh, 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 unexplored, mm-hmm. untapped? How many people know of uh, if people know a bit about Mapungube? They know a bit about the Lightenberg heads. Those Lightenberg heads made out of terracotta, uh, out of clay, 500 AD here, that look exactly like the one from Nok in, in Nigeria that were done in, 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 50, in, in 50 BC. Yeah, in 50 BC. All of these things are happening here in Africa. They are still unexplored. Mm. We still have got to uh, do a lot of finding out who we really are as a people. We, the African people. Absolutely. I mean, Adam's calendar is also known as Inzalo Yelang, and it takes us into the realm of African astronomy as well. Um, And we gifted the world a deep understanding of astronomy when you look at people like our own Stonehenge of Nabta, Nabta player in, in, in the Sahara. And yet, it is not something, these are not things that we hold in high regard. Um, or see our contribution in the rest of the world. While we're at that one, let's go back to the Dogon. Mm. The Dogon speak of Portolo, meaning a small seed. This Portolo is a star called Sirius B that rotates around Sirius once in 60 years to complete its, its, uh, its circle. And when it completes the circle, there is a ceremony called the Sikri that is celebrated only once in 60 years. 
the Togon people knew of the existence of Sirius B centuries before the white people only 30 years ago with powerful telescopes discovered that there is Sirius B that rotates around in a Sirius. When a you know, minister, Naledi Pando, organized the conference at the Cradle of Humankind on uh, the reemergence of African uh, astronomy mm-hmm. uh, in Africa, that uh, was linked with uh, uh, SCAR, that telescope that was in it. She was bringing it straight back to us here in Africa that you have got uh, uh, your, your, your link with the stars. Everything that we, we do when we worship, whether you are a, a, a Zioni or Apostle, you worship in a circle. You are Shembe, you worship in a circle. When you have to drink your own beer in the village, you sit in a circle. When you go over to a nightclub, black people end up in a circle with somebody dancing actually, you know, in the middle. Cyclicality as an organizing principle, which refers also to the celestial powers uh, of the stars and heavenly bodies uh, over. So Africa is rich in ideas and in all of this, is, except that its own leaders seem to be dead from the neck upwards. Sure. Yes, and it's up to us. It's up to us to, to restore that, which is, I think, speaks volumes about your recent work, Azibuyele Emasi Sweni, where you had 45 sculptures made out of bone, you collaborated with a number of other artists, you know, respected musicians, poets, and writers um, that, as part of the exhibition, could be heard reading um, and contributing to not just the experience of the sculpture, but exper- the experience of uh, experiencing the, the work itself. What, what is our source? And why did you think that we should return? Yeah, you know, there's this saying here that says, if you don't know where you come from, you won't know where you're going. And if you don't know where you're going, any road will take you there. Mm. So I don't want to get into a taxi unless I know where I'm going with my art, with my poetry, Mm. with my country, with the philosophy of uh, my ancestral ancestral, uh, spirits. Mm. And what do you? What is the source? The I, I think the source for me is belief in oneself. Therefore, believing in other human beings and believing in humanity, believing in nature, have the ability to uh, you know see what is beautiful, what is true, and what is lovely. It is in that uh, center inside, the loveliness with which we are born, actually as children, which is the source that as we grow up, we continue to betray. Mm-hmm. That innocence of a child, you find a child eating. A child could be white or Chinese. If you sit down and the child is going to offer you the food that they're eating, they won't ask you questions, they'll laugh with you. That is the source of being. Uh, you know, being happy, being in tune with your environment, being in tune with the air that you breathe, being in tune with every, uh, you know, either thing else. So that source then is something that is inborn in us, and that source is what we call spirit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Do you feel that we've forgotten the philosophies that underpin our origins and our society? We we have forgotten. Uh, no, we don't. We are not forgotten them. We are we are made to forget them. Mm. And that's why what they did, they fed us with, uh, uh, you know, you know, Jesus Christ and uh, the uh, and I mean and the prophets uh, uh, and all. And then we we all ended up even reading the Bible even uh, 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 even wrongly, uh, uh, even wrongly. Mm-hmm. We don't. Uh, let's look at this Azania. You go to Genesis twenty-five. They will tell you that Abraham was married to Keturah. Keturah was a black woman from Ethiopia. Mm-hmm. You go to Numbers 12. They will tell you that uh, Aaron and Miriam laughed at Moses because Moses had married a black woman, Zipporah. The playboy in the Bible called uh, King Solomon was after uh, Makeda, the, the, the queen of, of Sheba. Behind every successful Judaic prophet, there is a black woman, but we don't read the Bible in that, uh, 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 in that way. When you read the Bible, you find when they speak about the Mithrians and all of these other people, the names of the people who came from anywhere. When you look at those names in the research, those names they're talking about, they're talking about Sudan, they're talking about Ethiopia, they're talking about a number of African uh, you know, people. We don't even read the Bible uh, in, in the way in which uh, uh, you know, it was written for us to understand. Mm-hmm. That's how damaged goods we are, you know, uh, 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 as people. That's why we need uh, to change our education system, our belief systems, and a number of other issues, if at all we are going to uh, live meaningful lives as we are meant to, to live those lives by our gods and by our ancestors. Yes, in fact, Ngugiwationgo said the bullet was the means of the physical subjugation and language was the means of the spiritual subjugation. So even in the omission of certain things or in the lack of acknowledgement of certain things, that has also led to our spiritual subjugation. That's exactly, that's why, I mean, you know, you know for me, uh, in the same way as the late Credo uh, Mutwa and a number of other uh, you know, people who are uncompromisingly uh, 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 African, very unapolo- uh, very unapologetic. Mm-hmm. I remember uh, when London once and Guki was la- laughing at become a, a late poet of mine. He says, you look like a tiger and you behave like a tiger. I said, why is he looking like a tiger? He says, have you ever seen a tiger feeling sorry for itself? Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's beautiful. <laughs> That's a great compliment. <laughs> great compliment. So we live in, in, in the information age. Uh, humanity, I don't think there's ever been a point where we've had this much knowledge um, at the tip of our at the tip of our fingers, for instance. We've we've got so much knowledge. And yet, we're unable to solve some of the most pressing issues of our time, like social injustice, sexism, racism, classism, poverty, disease. Does this also come back to the fact that we've forgotten 
the philosophies or the things that underpin our society and we have forgotten the source. Yeah, no, no. What we have done, we have really, really forgotten the source of who we are. And as we sit here right now, which economy is rising to dominate the world? China. Yes. There's something about China. Africa wanted to, uh, uh, you know, Kwame Nkrumah and the people of, of the 60s, right? They wanted a civilizational government. Africa, Cape to Cairo, Morocco to Malagasy. One government, one economy, one uh, 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 military high command, uh, and everything. Just exactly as what China has done. And they will also say we should know who we are. When you want to understand the Chinese, talk ancestors. They have gone back to renew the sculptures that were destroyed 25,000 years ago, and all they are going back to their own ancestors in order to find answers you know, to this. The Europeans uh, in, the, in the 15th uh, you know, century, uh, during the Italian Renaissance, had to go to the Greco-Roman civilization to go and research in order to find the basis uh, and the guide for where they are moving you know, towards. So as William is saying the same thing, that we need to go back to our own uh, you know, African classics of creativity, of thinking, of poetry, of anything, so that we can come up with something that is essentially ours, even as we deal with uh, Europe, America, or anywhere else, but we deal with them on our own terms. We take what we've learned from them, use it in order to bolster us, use their, uh, 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 their language in order to criticize them and to develop our own languages. That's what we really need uh, to do, find our own selves in order to find our own bearings so that our destination uh, mm -hmm. for peace, for love, for justice, for interconnectedness stays with us. Yes, oh, absolutely. Um, when you created that exhibition and when I last spoke to you um, and looking at the write-up on Asbiele Emma Susweni, Return to the Source, um, you also refer to the use of African creative traditions um, and you use them, you celebrate them through this work. And these are traditions that were interrupted, you know, uh, which is another layer to this, uh, to this exhibition. What are these traditions, especially when it comes to our, how we create and when we create and our creativity? Yeah, no, it's, it, 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 it's like this, uh, yeah, is that our creativity is a response to the nature of uh, how we have been uh, you know, socialized mm -hmm. generationally. It's in our own genes that uh, we have to be who we are and to act in a manner in which we are. And even as we change ourselves, we change it within the, the, the knowledge or the source that you, that you were asking mm -hmm. about. Mm -hmm. You see? Mm -hmm. So, I don't know what to say. Mm. Mm. Yeah, the interruption has cost us, but we need to remember, we need to keep seeking 
who we are, so that there's restoration. But as we wrap, Prof, um, you have an extraordinary memory. How do you keep uh -huh. it so sharp? How do you keep it so... <laughs> So, so alive, you have an extraordinary memory. Let me tell you, I don't know why. Uh, when I was in solitary confinement in the death cells in Matsapa Central Prison mm. in Swaziland, right, day in and day out, we have no newspapers, we have got nothing. How did I survive apart from making my sculptures? I had to remember all the poems I learned by rote that they were, I was forced. I had I'd done three Shakespeare uh, uh, you know, plays and acted in those. I had to remember those. So when I was up in the detention, I would sit down today and said, I am going to sit down now and then start remembering the praise songs mm -hmm. of uh, King Shaga, Dinga, Nem Shwe Shwe, or, or whoever else it is, uh, to push my mind to remember. I would go up and remember <coughs> Shakespearean poems. You know that it, uh, you know come. I must remember you know some stuff that the uh, the Sipamlas and the Don Materas have been writing. So everything that had gone into my mind, I had to sit down and revise those things in my head, and then start breaking them uh, one you know by one. Mm -hmm. One I would really like to leave you with is that the last time I saw Madiba. Uh, my diva said to me, uh, what is it that you think I love more than anything else? I said, no, you love children. That's one thing that you do. And you also love uh, a rainbow nation that you know, people should actually you know, live together. Mm -hmm. He said, when I go, how would you want people to remember me? I said, no, I'll make a statue of you yes. on condition that... Uh, you will come once in a while and carry my tools for me. <laughs> so he laughed and he said, I am old. Yes. Then I said this poem about uh, old age. To my surprise, he joined me and we said this uh, poem as I was moving to the car. You and I are old. Old age has its hour and its toil. Death closes all. Though we are no longer the strength which in the olden days moved heaven and earth, that which we are, we are. One equal temper of heroic hearts, made weak by time and fate, but strong in will, to strive to seek, to find, not to yield. How dull it is to pause, to make an end, to rust and banish, and not to shine in use as though to breathe with life. Life piled on life, nothing remains save for that yearning spirit, that great spirit yearning in desire to follow knowledge like a sinking star beyond the utmost bounds of human thought. Oh, extraordinary. Absolutely extraordinary. Really special. Thank you mm. so much, Professor. Thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Azania Truth made redundant by a tyrant's gag. Yes. You bend, but you do not uh, break. Cecil John Rose, this man once said, the land of Zanj is vast. We carry the oceans, the winds carry us. You and I, together, we shall triumph. Africa will be. Thank you for listening. Azanian Life brings you interiority. 
a podcast which explores the inner aliveness of a people, hosted by Azania Musaka. Technical and music production by Mpontangi.